What more can one say? This is game seven. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Little Hockey Podcast. As always, we are your two hosts. My name is Keegan, and I'm with my brother, Jordan. Say hi, Jordan. Hi, everybody. So we are very excited to start getting onto the show. We have some great topics that we want to go through with everyone here. But first, as always, please remember to follow the show on Twitter at Little Hockey Pod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We will read any five-star review. And you can find us wherever you're listening to us and basically wherever else you listen to podcasts. So we got a lot to cover, as always, so we're going to jump right into it. And Jordan, you wanted to do a quick little run-through on all your betting expositions that you've been doing. So how has that been going for you? Uh, it's it's obviously hit and miss. I'm, I'm shooting at about 50% right now, which is nice. I'm, I'm down about $2, which kind of sucks. I'm still trying to figure everything out, right? Like um, I, I'm just betting with pocket change, really. Uh, so it, it's a little bit tough to grow the, the bankroll that I started off with. But um, yeah, I, I'm having fun. I'm watching like five times as much hockey as I normally would be at this point. Like uh, earlier this week, I was up until like one in the morning watching the, the Kings play the, uh, the, avalanche and like that would never happen uh no and yeah exactly like why would why would i do that to myself well because i wanted to see if i could win five dollars that's why (laughs) (laughs) did you win and i did yeah that that game uh the the kings managed to uh to to beat the avalanche and i came off with uh with some change and it was nice i think that that was part of my um my best night where i went three for three yeah it sounds like Sounds like things aren't uh, all bad in your, in your betting life. Oh my, I almost said lives there. Uh, yeah, no, it, no, things are going pretty well. I just have to figure out, um, you know, like determining how much to bet on each specific game and uh, kind of pinpointing which ones to put like a, a good chunk of change down on just to, uh, you know, get the most value out of all of my picks and uh, try to grow the the pot that I started off with here. So still learning, still figuring things out, but I've got to say, like, I totally understand why people do this all the time. Like it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's especially fun knowing that, you know, like the amount of money that I could lose is not going to break me. So it's, it's definitely more entertainment than it is investment right now. Just staying up to watch those games, wondering if it's going to pay for your coffee in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it is impacting something that, uh, uh, I'll get to a little bit later with the uh, the schedule maker because I've got some uh, some beef. Yeah, I've, I'm going to be shaking my fist at whoever's making the NHL schedule because uh, <laughs> now, now that I'm watching more games on a regular basis, uh, I hate it. I hate the way that the NHL schedule is made. 
But, well, uh, before we get before we move on, I want to ask you yeah. one last thing about this. Would you say that getting into betting has either changed or enriched your uh, passion towards hockey? Um, I, I think it's made me more interested in watching teams and games that I typically wouldn't give a, like a, another like I, I wouldn't look twice at. Um, like I said, I I would never stay up until one a.m. to watch the Avalanche and Kings play. But I had two dollars riding on it, so I had to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it it's it gets you more invested in teams that uh, typically you don't care about. Okay, and if it, you bet- it, it's also fun to keep betting against the Senators and winning on it. So that that is nice. I went three for three on my picks of uh, Winnipeg to beat Ottawa. That was nice. I haven't Get bet. Bent. I, haven't, I haven't bet on any of these Vancouver Ottawa games yet because. Uh, they're just too close at this point, which is crazy to think. Like I think in our, in our first episode of this, uh, this season, I might've said that Vancouver had the best defense in the North division. I was wrong. Holy shit. They're terrible. <laughs> that team is so well, bad. Well, they don't have the worst. So that's no, they, yeah. miraculously. They don't have the worst. Oh my God. We'll get into that later. That is, yeah. that is something that I am. Both, I need to get stuff off my chest regarding the Sens' recent play and all the flack that uh, the staff has been getting. But until then, um, let's talk about the Leafs a little bit. Uh, their 3-1 loss to Edmonton. What do you think of that back on the 20th? Uh, first slope, like, oh my God, that game was painful to watch. It was awful. I, I remember basically nothing from it other than it was just slow. Nothing happened. There were no chances. Both teams were playing. They were locked down pretty defensively, which was good to see that the Leafs were able to do. Um, the Leafs did a pretty good job of uh, containing McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl in that series at five on five. Uh, but yeah, that first game was brutal uh, just in terms of entertainment value. And also that the Leafs lost too. That sucked. But um, yeah, not, not, not my ideal, uh, you know, evening entertainment. So ho- hopefully the Leafs can lock things down defensively, but be a bit more entertaining offensively. Well, they were definitely a little more entertaining the next game when they won 4-2. Uh, that was without uh, Matthews, right? No Matthews, no Thornton. That's right, yeah. Um, and and these games against Calgary have been pretty entertaining as well. The one uh, last night on Tuesday, uh, we're recording on Wednesday night. Um, there, there was a lot of back and forth action after the first period. Again, the Leafs locked it down last night in the first period. It was so good to see, but somehow, for some reason, they just weren't able to take it into the second and third periods. I don't understand what that was about. Um, I, I think Calgary might have changed things up a bit. Like I'd have to go back and watch the game again, and I don't feel like doing that. But um, I, what I kind of felt and noticed was in uh, last night's game against the Flames, they. Uh, in the first period, the Leafs were doing a really good job of preventing um, zone entries because I think Calgary kept trying to carry the puck in. And then in the second and third periods, Calgary was just uh, dumping the puck in and chasing it. And then that got them in on the forecheck a lot easier. Um, so I, you know, it, it kind of sucks to see that the Leafs can get uh, hemmed in their own zone by something as simple as a dumped puck into the corner. But um, hopefully that's something that they work on in the next few days because that second and third period last night, like, the first period, the Leafs outshot 
Calgary, I think it was like 10 to one. And then the rest of the game, they were, or the, the second period, they were outshot 18 to five. Holy crap. Yeah, it was bad. And then uh, the, the rest of the game too, the, the Leafs, it, it was kind of a miracle that they got out of that game with a win. <laughs> and uh, okay. Travis, Travis Boyd scored his first goal off of a, a really nice uh, pass from Pierre Engvall. Um, Matthews ripped one in, uh, which was good because in the first game against Calgary, the, his goal kind of just bounced off of his skate and then off a of Calgary defender skating in. Um, and it came out that he, his injury, he was saying uh, that he missed time for was the, a hand injury. So it was, it kind of concerned me that um, if it was his hand, that it would impact his uh, stick handling and his shooting. But it, last night, anyways, he, his stick handling looked like it was fine. He was controlling it really well. And that shot was a, a laser beam. So hopefully his hand is getting better and it doesn't impact uh, those aspects of his game because without those, like he's nowhere near as dangerous as he normally would be. No, for sure. That's something that you kind of wish heals properly and that he's able to just um, play his regular game. Um, What, uh, what did you think of the whole Muzzin flipping the puck at Kachuk thing at the end oh, of the last game? Oh, it's great. Like if, if Kachuk did it to Muzzin, like we'd basically be do- doing the same shit, right? Like the old school hockey guys don't like it because they think it's um, disrespectful or against the code or whatever. But it's like, you, you know what? Like it wasn't going to hurt him. He literally flipped it at him. And that's a very Kachuk move to do. Like you said, if yeah. he was to do it to Muzzin, like... It, yeah, it it, everybody would be talking about like, oh, that's the game within the game and that's just Kachuk being Kachuk. But because of the stuff that happened from the game previously about like people online accusing Kachuk of intentionally like dropping his knees down onto Jack Campbell's neck and head, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been as big of a thing. But because that was the context around it, yeah, people saw it as retaliation. But it's like, well kind of a shit retaliation right like he <laughs> yeah he just flipped a puck at a guy like haphazardly just like here you go like if he shot Putin. it at him like if he did what alfredson did to I, I was gonna say like, like a certain uh senator's captain did in the stanley cup finals game uh, when he took, took a, a slap, slap shot, shot. At, at scott niedermeyer's chest yeah yeah that would be a different story but he literally flipped the puck at him i don't even know if it hit him and then Kachuk lost his shit and threw it. I think Kachuk caught it. Like, I think it kind of like hit him in the shoulder and he caught it. And then, yeah, he went right after Muzzin. Yeah. And then Muzzin was laughing at him, which was funny. Um, yeah. Cause Muzzin's a bear. Yeah. I didn't even see this last night. Cause as soon as the uh, final, um, as soon as the, uh, the, the final buzzers rang, I just shut my laptop and went to bed. But um, yeah. I saw it all this morning and I was like, uh, you know what? Like, if the Leafs wanted to get back at Kachuk by beating the flames for a second time and then flipping a puck at him to be like, ha, we got you better luck next time. I'm fine with that. The one thing I'm concerned with is the old, like uh, poking the bear thing of like shit. Now Kachuk is going to come out with his head on fire and And get five points. He's either going to like just light us up or he's going to be an absolute shithead and hurt somebody or be sitting in the box all night. Hopefully he's yeah. not in the box all night because he hurt somebody. Um, he's hopefully. definitely the shittier Kachuk in the sense that he will do like, he's a little more of a cheap player than Brady is. Brady's like, a pain in the ass. Matthew will take your knee out. Yeah. And 
I don't know. I, I kept, I watched that clip of him falling onto Campbell a bunch of times and I don't think he was just standing there and decided, uh, you know what, I'm going to drop my knees down onto this guy. He sure. probably, he probably got bumped into and fell over, but he certainly fell down onto the goalie in a way that nobody else has ever done before. So he fell with purpose. Yeah. He definitely got bumped and fell down and then was like, well, you know what? I'm on my way down. Might as well uh, do some damage while I'm here. So get a piece of them. Yeah. So I, I don't think he went into the crease area thinking, all right, game's over. I'm just going, I'm going to like attempt to, you know, critically injure Jack Campbell here. I, it was just kind of one of those things. And I'm sure anybody who has ever played um, contact sports or competitive sports of any kind before has done as well. Like there's plenty of times where you're in a scrub of people and you're, you get bumped or something and you're like, Oh, well, you know what? I just got bumped and I could make it look like this elbow to the gut of my opponent is an accident. So let's just do that. I will 100% admit to doing that. Oh yeah. Or something similar. Yeah. Like we've talked all the time about like I've, played soccer games where I've been in a scrum of people and uh, somebody's like running with the ball out of the scrum. And I just like click their heels together, not trying to trip them, but I'm just trying to get there. No, no. I I know how dangerous it is to actually trip them. I'm just trying to make them think that that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I would, I would always do is uh, whenever uh, someone was going across the blue line, like if they had stopped up and they're, their player was about to go across. I would just, when they would go take that first, first step, I just hold their, hold their foot a little bit with my stick. Hmm. Like I wouldn't trip them, but I'd slow them down. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there's That's a little different than driving it, your knee in someone's back though. It is. But uh, again, like I'm sure we've all done something essentially similar to that. Like you're in a scrum on the ice, everyone's pushing each other around and it's like, well, this guy's going to knock me over. So I might as well fall down onto one of his teammates. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. You're not trying to put them in the hospital, but you're certainly trying to like stun them for a second and just make them have to catch their breath or just get uncomfortable that somebody's body weight is on top of them. Do you Uh, think it would be any kind of a different conversation if it was Freddie instead of Campbell? Um, no. I mean, it's getting a pretty big deal and a lot of focus because, well, the Canadian division in general is getting a lot of focus, but also because it's Toronto. Obviously, with the big media market, it gets a, a bit more. Well, I, I also think it's because Jack Campbell is going to be out for a few weeks with that leg injury. That was very apparent that he was suffering through the last couple minutes of the game, which is kind of another... Unrelated injury, right? Un- unrelated injury. He Yeah, he hurt himself in like the final three minutes, and then that incident with Kachuk happened like the dying seconds of the game. Um, Okay. But uh, yeah, so I I think it's getting a bit more attention because Campbell is injured and he's going to be out and he was clearly injured at the point when um, Kachuk landed on him. So I think that might be why people are more sensitive to it because it's like, Hey, you knew he was already hurting and you decided to drop your knees down onto his back and head. So like, come on, asshole. Yeah. And and you know what? I felt all this before last night's game too, but I also would have felt amazing if like uh, Wayne Simmons or or, uh, Jake Muzzin went out there and just beat the wheels off of Kachuk. That would have been awesome. Well, maybe I would say you'd get it, but I don't think you play Calgary again for a little while now. You guys play Edmonton tomorrow. Oh yeah. Okay. We're moving on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You guys play Edmonton at 10 o'clock tomorrow. Oh shit. 10 o'clock. I work on Friday. 
<laughs> How do you think I felt? I haven't seen the last three Sens games. Oh, yeah. Not not like that last one was worth watching. Well, Frig, the 7-1 game against Vancouver, I I didn't even watch the highlights. Like, uh, all, there all I know any. is that, yeah, all I know is Brandon Sutter uh, scored three goals. Yeah, his first career hat trick. Because, yeah, of course. 13 years after entering the league. Um, what uh, One thing that I saw was, like, everybody's getting on Matt Murray's performance. So I, I want to say, uh, I know last episode, I, I said that I would have traded uh, Frederick Anderson started the season for Matt Murray's, and I'd like to retract mm. that now. Um, I, I have no <laughs> interest in uh, a Matt Murray performance from any of the Leafs goalies. You know, I see a lot of people getting on DJ and they're calling for his head already. But one thing I want to say is, okay, so you know how um, – we said kind of at the beginning that there's no real possible way for Ottawa to have a quote unquote bad season. Right. Cause yeah. there are no expectations. Um, well, yeah, it seems like, it seems like we were wrong cause we forgot the scenario that's kind of playing out right now. That's pissing everybody off. Well, what seems to be the, uh, the general, I guess, vibe around the fan base is they were expecting, Oh, we have no expectations. Therefore play the kids. Yeah, that's what everyone wanted. That's kind of what I wanted and was hoping for. That's Play the kids. Advertised though. That's what Dorian a- and Smith were saying all offseason was. Yeah, we're gonna. The kids are gonna get an opportunity and they're gonna play. And it's like, well, you're almost ten games into the season now, and Colin White is getting his like second or third start or, or uh, yeah game of the season tonight. Not only that, but uh, they were saying like, yeah, we're going to have the most rookies playing on our team in their North division and everything. And it's like, you have one, two, you have Norris Stutzel. Those are the only rookies. Hmm. Uh, Like Formanton didn't crack the lineup. Logan Brown didn't crack the lineup. Brandstrom got, was really unfortunate, missed a lot of camp due to COVID exposure and some other factors. So he wasn't able to prove himself to make it, but they were saying like, oh yeah, like major shakeups coming and ever or for this next game. And I know they announced the uh, the lineup for this game, this uh, for Vancouver tonight, but I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know what they are. Uh, but one of the things I want to say is because we don't have expectations, it kind of seems like he's using these first five, well, five now, six, soon to be seven. He's going to use these first 10 games as exhibition games. That seems to be what he's doing. Like uh, he knows like DJ Smith being, he, he knows his job's not in jeopardy if he doesn't make the playoffs. So he's going to see what he can do. He's going to ease the young guys in rather than just giving them a spot out of camp. And now that the veterans have um, lost their chance, maybe now he'll start bringing the young guys up and, giving them saying, Hey, this is your opportunity. Now they beat you out of camp or for whatever reason, we thought you weren't ready. This is your chance to prove us wrong. And honestly, I'm fine with that. Like, um, it's kind of like what people were saying with, um, uh, Babcock, why he wasn't fired right away. They were giving him a chance to fail. That's what they did with these veterans. Oh, they yeah, gave them a chance to that's something that Babcock always said with the Leafs was like a tie goes to the vet. So if, if in camp two players performance is like pretty much equal, then the player with more experience is going to get the shot ahead of the younger player because the younger players have to outperform 
the experienced players in order to get into the lineup. And, yeah. you, you know, like I, in, in the Leafs case at that point, I, it kind of made sense. I, I guess, you know, Ottawa ideally would have been hoping for the similar result that the Leafs had in 2016, 17, that first year with uh, like the whole young crew. The problem is, is that like the, the senators are kind of basing their lineup around all of these older players and marginalizing the younger players, whereas the Leafs were insulating their younger players with the older players that had more experience. But their young guys were still playing. But their young guys were still playing and doing a lot. Yes. Um, a big thing that I've kind of oh, noticed the, is... The lineup tonight, Keeks? Um, oh, yeah, you got it? Yeah, Colin White's playing on the third line with Nick Paul and Evgeny D- uh, Dadanov. Yeah, Dadanov, people are getting concerned about him. Um, he's still, these are the first games that he's ever played with these players. Yeah. Don't forget, he's played the last three years with Huberto and Barkov. Yeah. This is a step down. He needs to readjust to our system as well as to these players. People need to calm down about him. And like you said earlier, there was basically no training camp. They had no exhibition games, uh, to get to build chemistry or anything. So they're still working on all of those things. And Ottawa has a lot of players that are new to the franchise. Like I'm looking at the lineup here and, uh, Stutzla's new, um, Dadanov, Paquette, Stepan, Watson, Galchenyuk, um, Haley's new, I believe. Good brand. Yeah. He's an enforcer. Yeah. Zub. There's a lot. He hasn't played yet. Is Zub in the lineup? No, Can he's you check not. That form? No. Friggin' Why? Uh, the one guy who I've been infuriated with is Eric Branson. Get him off the ice. Anytime he is in his own zone. I think it was um, the second game against Winnipeg. I watched the first period, only the first period. And I saw him try to make a pass from his own hash marks only to give it right to a Jets player four separate times. I counted. I think I remembered one of those. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm fuming and I can't get mad because I was watching it in our common room and Damien, our brother-in-law was sleeping in the room adjacent and I was just fuming and I just shut it off and went to bed. Cause I'm like, one, it's 10 o'clock and I get up at five 30 every morning. So I needed to sleep. And two, it's just like, get him off the ice. People are saying he's basically there to be our borough replacement on the right side. Yeah, but like, at least Boro could at least make a pass. Boro was like, fairly competent and it yeah had improved quite a bit good branson has is, pretty much always sucked and is getting worse yeah so the idea of all oh, like we need to we need these big guys to protect protect our young guns what the hell have these guys have done i've seen good branson pull a guy off shabbat once cool watson's gotten into a fight haley got into a fight uh, Paquette's done nothing. He's done nothing to deserve to stay in this lineup. I know he's injured right now, uh, but he needs to stay out. Like he needs to sit when he gets healthy. He needs to be a scratch. He was great or played his role in Tampa. Well, this isn't Tampa. Like, I, I don't know what to say, but there's no reason he should be out there instead of a guy like Galchenyuk's not great, but he had that sick shot for his only goal. And we could use some more offense. It doesn't help when literally half the guys on your ice at any given time are just a bag or like a bag of pucks with fists. That's all they are. They can't skate. Uh, Watson has been really good. 
which has been nice. He's gotten a, a couple goals. He's got got that nice snipe on uh, Toronto in the first game. But it's just one thing I was really hoping DJ would do because, again, we need offense, is I was hoping he'd bring up one of or both of Formanton and Brown, Logan Brown. Like, the looking at the centers, like, you got to keep Norris, Batherson, Kachuk together. That's been really doing really well. Step on, move him down to the third line. I wanted to see a second line of Stutzel, Logan Brown, and Nick Paul. The reason for that is Logan Brown and Nick Paul had really good chemistry down in Belleville. Uh, Nick Paul can kind of be the hindman to that line as the puck retriever and get it to Stutzel and Brown. And even if Paul has the um, like has the chance to shoot. He's got a hell of a shot. We saw that again. First game against Toronto when he stripped uh, TJ Brody and ripped that shot off the bar off his wing. He's gotten a few other good looks. And I think his finish and puck retrieval mixed with Stutzel's dynamic playmaking and Brown's terrific and elite vision could be a really, really good line. But for whatever reason, DJ Smith doesn't like Logan Brown. Maybe it's because he's not the greatest skater. I don't know how big of a difference he's been because he said he, Logan Brown said he did a bunch of changes to his offseason conditioning and uh, his offseason training, but we haven't been able to see it because they refused to play him and they sent him down to the, to wait for the AHL season to start. He's not even on the taxi squad. And uh, I'm just, I said that I understood, or I said before we started recording that sense fans are getting a little too riled up. And here I am going on a rant and getting riled up. And it's just, that's our first impressions of just, Oh, like he's never going to play these young guys. Like he's just uh, wasting a year of their development. Like this is ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. It's seven games in. This isn't the finals team that we'll be seeing in the 56th game this season. We just got to give him time to make his adjustments. And if it means he's going to do it painstakingly slow, then so be it. So long yeah. as he makes them changes. Yeah. You know, like this would be the game to see major changes. And um, I think the, from the, and we aren't getting it. Yeah. I, I was, I, I just realized that those lineups that I was looking at were from uh, yesterday's practice. I imagine that they're probably not a whole lot different today, but I'm not seeing the typical uh, tweets of the line rushes from the warmups from uh, from Twitter, but I did see that the the goalies tonight are going to be uh, Demko and Hogberg. So uh, oh, Hogberg Augie. gets his first start of the season. We'll see if he can do better than uh, Murray did on uh, Monday night. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Monday night. That was the night where there was only one game on the schedule. Because the NHL likes to have games on every other night. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to run uh, into that one? Um, Here, let me just give my final thought on Ottawa, right. and then we can run into that. Um, one or two things I just want to quickly mention. Again, uh, Nick Pauls look great. They need to um, lengthen the leash on Christian Wolanin and let him do his thing. Shabbat is not looking like Shabbat, but. These are, I'm counting the first 10 games as exhibition games, or at least I'm trying to, and I'm trying not to get too worked up about it. Obviously it's not working, but I'm doing my best. I have faith in DJ Smith. I have faith in Pierre Dorian. I just think that if they see that what their initial plan was 
or if they see that their initial plan of overplaying these vets doesn't work or isn't working, I will, I hope to see them change their plan. If they don't change and if they continue this up for the entire year, then I'll be calling for heads. But for now, give them a second. We're only, this is only the second week of the season. Give them time to change before you just start like going for their throat. Um, yeah. Thank and, you for coming to my TED talk. And, and with regards to uh, playing the young guys more from those lines in practice yesterday, the top six was Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, Tierney, and Brown. That's not bad. I, I don't mind having uh, Tim Stutzel playing with Chris Tierney because he's an underrated playmaker. Like I wouldn't say like top six talent playmaker, but like he's solid. Like he's gotten a, uh, He's actually, since the Carlson trade, gotten more points than Eric Carlson, eh? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. He's been doing well. Carlson's also been injured, but Tierney's been doing well. But, uh, yeah, so the the uh, Evgeny Dadnov and Derek Stepan both got uh, demoted down to the third and fourth line, respectively. Galchenyuk was looking like he was uh, going to be scratched tonight, and same with Anisimov. So it, it looks like um, DJ... Smith uh, might be, you know, promoting some of those younger guys over the older guys now after seeing what the older guys can do and uh, how limited the team is with them being on the ice. But, yeah, it's not it's not the roster shakeup that fans were calling for. No, and pe- that, like, people were calling for trades and guys to be put on waivers and stuff, and it's like, it, calm down. Yeah, it, like this is supposed to be a zero expectation season. Stop putting all these expectations on the guys. And it's okay to have. Go ahead. Some of those guys are probably going to be traded towards the deadline uh, anyways. And it's just, they, they need them to play better and to be put into those situations so that they're attractive to other teams. Cause as it, as it's going right now, nobody in the league is going to take Paquette off of Ottawa's hands. Um, no, but... I, I think he's got like the lowest possession numbers in the league right now. I was seeing well, he, the, the, he's been few... bad. Uh, there were a few games where he was sitting at like 20% um, possession, which is insane. Or the, he, there may have been one game where he did not get a single, like the team did not get a single um, shot attempt for while he was on the ice. Paquette is a guy that I don't notice is on the ice until I see the back of his jersey skating to the bench for a goal against. Oh, yeah. and then Or like, he's oh, in yeah, the penalty box. Yeah. Like that, those are the only times I notice him. I only notice him when he messes up and he does it way too frequently like i i watched uh both games against the leafs that ottawa played and all three games against uh winnipeg and a bunch of these guys i couldn't tell you what their jersey numbers are <laughs> i don't think i can even tell you some of them yeah like, like Dad, to be completely honest dad enough paquette um watson i have no idea no uh, idea oh uh, let's see dad 63 paquette 23 watson 16 okay I, I know Galchenyuk is uh, 17 because that was, that was my number. It looks pretty sick in that jersey too. It, it does look pretty good in that jersey, yeah. yeah. Although although the on-ice product has been really bad, Ottawa's been a really good-looking pile of shit recently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they have been. Those black jerseys at home look awesome. And uh, it, looks, it, it, it looks really good when they're playing the Leafs too, when Ottawa's wearing their blacks and the Leafs are wearing their whites. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I for, I forget who said it. I think it was um I think I heard it with an interview with like Stuntman Stu or something where they were saying like it was a prerequisite of going to these throwback jerseys that we had to play like the 93 Senators too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Ooh, that stings, but you're not wrong." Hey, the way things are going right now, Ottawa's going to be lucky to get 12 wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shut up. At this rate, we are if we only win one game in our first 10 we are on a six win pace oh geez yeah i guess that's right eh yeah Ooh. uh generously six win pace yeah no you'll win more games um i'm expecting 15 i don't think we'll get much more than that so yeah I'm just trying to think like 15 you're gonna need to get four wins in 49 games or 14 wins in 49 games yeah, like it's, uh, it's definitely doable. But one win every four games. <laughs> one win per series against each team, essentially. Yeah, which it, it that's doable. Yeah, yeah, that's not totally unrealistic. Yeah, like think about it. You're going to beat us six one five two five one, and we'll beat you guys three two one. Game. I wish. I, like last night's uh, or trying to think if the Leafs have won a game by more than one goal i think it's just been the one game against edmonton um that's the only game that the leafs have won by more than one granted would you rather them have high scoring games or keep winning uh i'd rather them win games by more than one goal you can't have your cake and eat it too (laughs) sure i can yeah the leafs are the leafs are one of the better teams in the league and the division right now because they are focusing less on all high octane offense and more on a complete game. Uh, And it's showing by winning. The problem though, is that their offense is coming from the perimeter mostly, and they need to really break into the middle if they want to score more consistently. Are they scoring enough to win games? Yes or no? They they are, but then that's all that matters. No, you're not going to be able to keep doing that from the perimeter though. You need to get into that home plate area if you want to keep scoring. Otherwise, you're, you're not a threat to anybody if you're shooting from the point in the boards. You are if you're Austin Matthews. Yeah, but it, I, it's... And it's you are still, if, you're, if you're a defenseman shooting with John Tavares around the net. But you're also looking at it like the Leafs have scored like a maximum of four or five goals in all of their games, and they've played mostly weak teams in the division. They've played Ottawa twice, um... The Edmonton. Played, uh, they played Winnipeg played, once, Edmonton a few times, like, and now Calgary, and now Calgary, Calgary, and Montreal. You played Montreal in the first. We, game. we played Montreal in the first game, yeah, and that's where we scored our five goals. Um, but since we played Montreal, Calgary is probably the strongest team we've come up against. Well, after Montreal and after you, Calgary's probably the strongest team in the division. I guess, yeah, it's it's. That's a thing. Like yeah. we, the and Canadian it, division it's, it's is weeks in. It's going to be weeks in between playing the strong teams too. Just the way yeah. that the schedule has to be this year. Yeah, I don't know when you guys play Montreal next, but that will be a fun series. Montreal yeah. has been has looked a lot better than even people were giving them credit for, and that's saying something. People were saying that they could be a playoff team or even win the division, and now they're just running away with things. I think they've gotten a point in every single game so far. Yeah, it's it's been close to it at least. Um, Montreal's another team that I keep winning money on when I'm betting because they just they just keep winning. They just keep winning. Yeah. Um, I'm, again, we're less than ten games in, but still. Yeah. 
But yeah, with uh, uh, one final thing on the Sens uh, roster decisions, um, it, the next five games or so after that 7-1 hammering by uh, the Canucks on Monday uh-huh. night, these are going to be the games where you kind of, where you really get a sense of what uh, DJ Smith is going to be doing with the young players. Because if those players still aren't getting into the, uh, the top six of the lineup, if they're not getting into the, uh, the key um, points in the game where like the Sens are protecting leads or are uh, uh, just playing defensively or on the penalty killer things like that, then your sense fans are going to have a lot more of a case to be pissed off with how this team is being uh, developed than they might currently have case to be. Yeah. You know what I um, completely forgot about uh, with Ottawa's penalty killing last year? What's that? We led the league in shorthanded goals. Well, yeah, because you probably had some of the most penalties. You're, You're the most penalized team in the league right now. Yes, that I know. But you, last you, you spend almost 14 minutes a game in the box. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy how much time they how how many penalties per game they take. And, and that, that's how... because of all of the big slow guys uh that I was about getting, to say. Yeah, it's it's going to be all of the uh the stick penalties and then retaliation penalties and stuff too. And all, yeah. I think Ottawa's had like a few like uh, um, like brain fart penalties too, like uh, too many men on the ice. And I, I feel like Ottawa's first penalty of the year was a too many men on the ice. Or that was Toronto. Oh shit! Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, uh, Ottawa's. I don't. I can't even remember what Ottawa's was, but I know what you're getting at. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. I, so so we'll see what uh, this next week looks like for the Senators because uh, that's going to really really give a sense of what uh, the development plan is for the team. And like I said, if we keep seeing Derek Stepan in the top six and uh, Cedric Paquette out in the dying minutes of a close game, then then I think there there's going to be a lot better case for Sens fans to be losing their minds because right now it is still early and these play the younger players still have to try to. Uh, beat the veterans whether or not the fans like it or not that's the mentality that management is coming in with um i know it's not necessarily what everybody was sold on but that's uh, kind of how things are operating now yeah and um i know that everyone's getting upset because their rebuttal to that is well they're not given the chance to beat them wait a couple more games like like we've had a bad stretch sure this is the game to change things up. We'll see what the changes are for this game. DJ Smith likes to uh, keep his roster decisions pretty close to the chest and pretty close to game time. So we'll see how it goes. And we just got to see if he keeps changing. It's not going to happen overnight. That's the thing. Yeah. Also, uh, you were right, actually. Ottawa's very first penalty of the year. Derek Stepan, delay a game. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, moving on. Um, I... I had mentioned earlier about uh, my absolute uh, disdain. Yeah, absolute disdain for the NHL scheduling. Like when I when I looked at it on Monday morning, I just couldn't believe it because there was one game Monday night. It was the Senators and Vancouver Canucks that started at ten o'clock Eastern, and I I was like, "That come on, why? Why would you have a Monday night where there's one game and uh, on the the day before Sunday 
Yeah. Um, it, w- it was, there was a, a full slate of games going up against NFL, um, NFL playoffs. It makes no sense that the league wants to put a whole bunch of games up against a way more popular sport. And then the following night have absolutely nothing. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. The, and then every other day this week, like uh, last night, there was like 13 games. Tonight, there's two games. Um, tomorrow night, uh, Thursday, I think there's supposed to be like 14 games or something insane. And Friday night, it's back down to one or two games again. It's crazy. Um, I, I don't get why the league continues to do this year after year. Um, it, it's just mind-boggling that they that they don't make their product as accessible and consistent as other leagues do. Like I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the NBA schedule looks like on a night to night basis. Cause I, I don't follow it, but I, I imagine they're not fluctuating between everybody playing on one night. And then the next night there's one game happening. Like the NHL seems to be focusing way too much on drawing as many viewers as possible to specific games on specific nights of the week there's um saturday nights they're in canada they're trying to draw all of the eyes onto a seven o'clock start and it's like start your games at noon come on um we got a taste of that in the bubble over the summer of just all day hockey and it was amazing um we had uh games starting at noon and then uh there was hardly any overlap you could watch a game and then at intermission flip over to another game and you could just do that all day. And it was amazing. But now we're back onto the NHL's usual bullshit of on a weeknight, all of the Eastern games start at seven, the central games all start at eight and the Western games all start at 10. And once your game gets on intermission, well, you know what? Like you might as well hit oh, the shit. bathroom. Yeah. You might as well hit the bathroom for 15 minutes. Cause all of the other games are on intermission too. All of the other sports have this figured out. Just, just stagger the start times. There's nobody in the building for most of these teams. You don't have to cater to most people's um, like commute schedule home. Um, and especially this year too, because so few people are actually doing that. Um, there's so many people that are just at home already and uh, they can just tune in whether they're working or not. Like, I don't know. You, you don't necessarily want to encourage people slacking off at work by having hockey on, but you know what? Baseball does it all summer. There's <laughs> games that start at like noon and go and they go all day. So come well, on. The radio is for. Yeah. The, and that's what, that's why you have streaming services too. Like, come on, just it's, it's infuriating. It, it was crazy this past Saturday. Um, I was like, all right, here we go. Like um, there's a whole bunch of games on. Let, let's see, there's got to be an afternoon game that I can tune in and watch. And I'm, I'm looking at it, I think it was like New Jersey and Buffalo or something at one o'clock. And that was it. Ooh. A one o'clock game and then five, seven o'clock starts. Like, why? Why? There's, there's no sense in this. If you're trying to get people to get interested in your sport, why are you having all of the games on at once? Spread them out. Make it more of a, a full day event like the nfl um sundays are basically foot like sundays are football day in the states 
Um, yeah, they have an entire day dedicated. It's, it's to an it. entire. It's go day. to church, watch football. Yeah, it's it's an entire day, and then the NHL is like, no, 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 we don't need a whole day. We're not that greedy. Just give us two and a half hours from seven to nine thirty Eastern. That's good for us. All of the games are going to be like simultaneously um, on intermission and commercial break at the same time, so you you don't have to worry about flipping in between games or anything. It's like it's it's that's not so necessarily stupid. true on saturdays in canada it's essentially true like there, there's a little bit of a difference um it, it true, but, but it, how much of your saturday is centered around watching hockey because you know it's on no and i'll, I'll give them that like saturday isn't ne- may not necessarily be the best day for it um because you know saturday is your first day in a weekend typically. So most people have plans. I imagine people aren't necessarily planning to spend their Saturday sitting on the couch watching sports because that's what Sundays are for because football made it that way. But like just, just you don't have to start it at noon, but like start games at four or five instead of having all of the evening games start at the same time. Yeah, even just I, a I, half hour stagnant, like you said, so that you can flip over to one game or the other game during intermission. And it doesn't even have to be a half hour. It could be like, uh, if you say that a game starts at 7, make it that the game starts at 7, not 7.08. Or 7.15, depending on. Yeah, right? Ooh. Like 7, 7.15, 8. You just got four games with starting within an hour and... They'll like they they'll be pretty close to overlapping, but it'll still be enough that like I can, at when the seven o'clock game is on intermission, I can go to the seven fifteen game for a few minutes, and then the seven thirty game, and then the seven forty five game, and by that time the seven o'clock game should be back in the second intermission or the second period. Um, yeah. So it, it's basically like, hey NHL, please let me consume your product. I don't understand why I have to beg you to let me do that, but please, please, please let me do it. I want to watch as much as I can and you're not letting me and it, it's stupid. It's, it's absolutely asinine. Hey, NHL, uh, stop eating your own foot, please. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, so that, that's, yeah, that's my rant on the NHL schedule. Just like, uh, like I said, tonight, Wednesday, two games tomorrow. I think there's 14 and then Friday, I think there's two again. Which is funny because remember when NBC was trying to do that like rivalry Wednesday thing? Yeah, and that, that's what I was saying earlier was that um, the league is focusing too much on these specific nights of the week and drawing as many eyes to um, one or two games as they can. Like tonight is Wednesday and the game in the U.S. is Chicago and Nashville. So they're going to be that, – that's going to be the nationally broadcast NBC game and um, – they're going to try to get as many people as they can to watch because they've got the Blackhawks in it. And that's just what they do every week. It's like the Blackhawks, the Red Wings, the Rangers. Those are the, the, uh, penguins. the, the penguins and the Flyers. Those are all the teams that are always on the national games because they draw all of the eyes. Um, and I get that because like that's, that's the Leafs in Canada, right? The Leafs dictate the broadcast schedule here. But just spread it out a bit add more games in there. You can still have one nationally televised game and then have a whole bunch of um, locally broadcast games on as well because um, you have a streaming service. People in those markets don't have to 
or, or people that are outside of those markets uh, still have access to it, uh, to watching those games so long as they've got NHL TV. So just please make it easier for us to watch because I, I, I want to watch more and you're not letting me. Just let me love you. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, Friday, the 29th, there is one game and it's the Blue Jackets and Blackhawks. Tomorrow night, I, I oh. believe there's 14. And again, this Saturday, a whole bunch of games on. Um, there is one afternoon start at one o'clock between the Devils and the, and the Sabres. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven o'clock games. This this coming That's, Saturday, there are eight games starting at the same time. That um, that don't seem right. No, it, like, and and some of them are good matchups that a lot of people would want to watch, like the Flyers and the Islanders. That could be a really interesting game. Those are some pretty strong teams playing. Boston like not even Washington. a seven thirty start. No, no seven thirty starts. There's eight seven o'clock games. One eight o'clock game a nine o'clock game and a 10 o'clock game. Oh, and you're forgetting the devils and sabers at one. Yeah, no, I already, yeah, I already said the devil. Oh, sorry, devils and missed sabers. That. Yeah. There's one afternoon start game and eight games starting at seven. Spread them out a bit. You've got, you've got, you've got six hours in between one and seven that you can just, you know, start one game at the top of every hour. Boom. Done. Awesome. You just park yourself down at uh, 1245 and you don't move again until 12.45 at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I wonder how much of it this year being this atrocious is due to COVID and just uh, other things getting priority. Or but, if... but again, this is the year to do it. This is the year to know, like so few people have anywhere to go or anything to do. Sure. Like you think about Ottawa right now, we can't go skiing. Um, we can't go skating on outdoor rinks. We can't go skating on the canal unless you live along it. Um, movie theaters are closed. Malls are closed. Restaurants are takeout only. Uh, all of the gyms are closed. There's nothing to do except be home. And we're supposed to stay home. And when we're at home, we've got to sit around and wait for seven o'clock for all of the hockey to start. It's crazy. Now, I, I get that's not the, the same case in every city or state or province in North America, but um, in most places, things aren't back to normal yet. So this is the time to get people hooked on your product. Yeah, every crisis is an opportunity if you use it properly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're starting to go a little bit long here, and I know you had something else you wanted to get to. Yeah, um, the, uh, I actually didn't want to get to this until you wrote it down on our when you suggested that we covered it. This James Gordon tweet about Pierre Dorian and, and oh and man, like, James, th this tweet it didn't even I, it was just something that I saw and that I thought was an interesting conversation to have. Um, so it, it's not like it. Uh, I don't think it blew up or anything because I only saw it once, and it, it yeah, was it's just got kind of been... retweets. Yeah, it's, it's not doing numbers or anything, so it's not like a viral tweet. I just thought it was an interesting thing for a Sens person to say. that. Um, so if, for anybody that 
doesn't know what I'm talking about, which is going to be most people. Um, yeah. The tweet reads, is anyone out there still doubting that Pierre Dorian is the worst GM in the NHL? Bad drafting, bad team building, bad coaching hires, seems to have zero gravitas with his players and the fans. Oh, and he gets killed on every trade he makes, is a follow-up tweet in the thread. That last one, because he specifically mentioned uh, Pierre Dorian's trading record, The old, what I did was Jordan put a link in our uh, episode outline on uh, Dorian's transaction record. I went from the beginning his first ever transaction to his most recent. And the only bad trades I can find were two. The reason for this is 90% of Pierre Dorian's transactions have been about futures. And the oldest players in those futures deal have just turned 23. It is too early to say if those are bad deals yet, because those players haven't either, they either haven't flopped yet because they're not old enough to flop. Or they haven't, uh, or they're not old enough, or they're not far enough along in their development to say if it was a success or not. Like the very first transaction Pierre Dorian ever did was moving up one spot in the 2016 draft to draft Logan Brown. That is the first transaction that he did. And uh, that and- trade, so um, he gave up Ottawa's 12th overall pick and Ottawa's third round pick in that draft. And to New Jersey, and New Jersey picked Michael McLeod, who last night scored his first NHL goal. Exactly. Thank you for putting that into context. Um, now, um, Michael McLeod has also played more NHL games than Logan Brown has. Sure, but you can argue that some of that could be because of coaching. Like, there's a solid argument to be made that Logan Brown would have more NHL experience if it wasn't for Guy Boucher, because Boucher also didn't like him. But there's also a very valid argument to be made. Logan Brown would play more if he wasn't injured every fucking year. He has not played a full season in any level since he was a young teenager. Holy shit. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at it like uh, I'm not 100% sure how many games are in an OHL season, but the most 69, 69. Okay, nice. Um, 69 or 68. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I'm looking at it like he missed. He he played 59 in 1516 and 56 in 1415, 35 in 1617. Yeah, like he hasn't played a full season in anything on at least on his cap friendly page. Like this only goes back so far. So yeah. like, geez, you might be right that he just he he's very yeah, injury prone, and maybe that should throw up some uh, red flags. But um, yes. you know, like, like we're, we're not going to do an audit on every single one of his trades, but do you no. you, you just want to highlight what was. Uh, where, so where here you... I'm going to highlight two bad trades. Okay. These were for sure bad trades. The one, the big one, everybody knows it. Getting Duchesne from Colorado. Yeah, that was mistimed. And um, it was a poor evaluation of where the team was at that point. Because that was a, it, that that was a few months after they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they thought that they were cup contenders when they very much weren't. Yes, and it was an overvalue of Duchesne's potential impact. Yeah, Duchesne is not an elite first line center. I think he's, I think he has the offensive skill set of a first line center, but the rest of his game is lacking 
the level it needs to be to be considered a first line center. I think he is a good number two center who will get you probably 60 to 70 points every year. Yeah. And it, it's uh, insane how Joe Sackick went from being like consensus worst GM in the league to, best. to one of the best. It's basically starting with that trade too. It's insane that he not only won the trade, but that he, uh, just came out with anything of value whatsoever just because of how long that situation dragged on for. It seemed like uh, Sackick and the Avalanche were just going to lose no matter what. And then they easily, out of the Avalanche, the Senators, and the Predators, the three teams involved in that trade, the Avalanche they won. are the only ones that came out ahead. Nashville yep. had to buy out tourists, um, and Nashville gave up Samuel Girard, who was a key piece of Colorado's defense. Yeah, and Ottawa gave up a first-round pick that ended up turning into Bowen Byram. Yeah, who is uh, playing with the team this season and another key piece of their defense. Like the fact that Colorado has Byram. Colorado built their defense off that trade. Oh, yeah, and then Kale McCarr. Yeah, who they got before like any of this trade stuff happened. They had gotten him the draft immediately before this trade. But the fact that that they've gotten like three dynamic defensemen like that in a short period of time two of whom they got through trades like that's that's crazy you want to hear what Ottawa through the same trade two of the two of their three top young dynamic defensemen they got through the same trade yeah uh ottawa essentially gave up kyle turris two first round picks a third and andrew hammond for matt duchene for like not even a full season of matt duchene in total, he played a full season. In total, and he was actually, and he was actually almost a uh, point per game. But anyway, uh, rather than dissecting that, uh, the other really bad trade, there's two. Sorry, uh, trading Mika's advantage for Derek Broussard. Yeah, if you didn't say that one, I was going to give you shit because I yeah. was. I just saw that one. And, like that is Pierre Dorian's Oof. third trade that he made, and that yes. one is is bad. Now, yeah, f- for context though. That one seems to be very ownership motor- motivated because yes. Sabanajad was a young player who was coming up to the end of his, um, uh, I think, second contract at that point. Yes, he was getting ready for his big payday. Yeah, and the, the team just wasn't going to pay him what he, he thought he was going to be worth. So they got a veteran who was locked up longer at a cap hit that was higher than his actual re- remaining salary. Yeah. I will oh. say, um, in trading Derek Broussard, he it was a three-way trade between Ottawa, Pittsburgh, and Vegas. We did get some decent assets back. Like yeah, we but got Benajad would have scored fifty goals last year if the season was. He never would have gotten that potential with Ottawa, though, because we I, would have. I, that's probably a fair point. Like he probably wouldn't have become that that player in Ottawa because he he there was no Panarin. Um, even though I don't think that they played together all that they much did not. last season. Yeah. They yeah. Uh, mainly only played together on power play and overtime situations. Yeah. But you're but, right. Cause I, I do think that Ottawa is pretty good at taking um, young dynamic offensive players and totally wasting their offensive ability <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Um, the other, the, so I'm just realizing this now, Pierre Dorian's um, second trade ever was a terrible, terrible trade. And it seemed very minor at the time. He sent Alex Jason to Calgary for oh. Patrick Seeloff. 
Yeah, and I if Sens fans, if now. if that doesn't, if Seeloff's name doesn't give you PTSD, then I you don't follow the team close enough. Patrick Seeloff is the guy who, in I think it was this camp. Yes, it, it was. was 2016. Yeah, was he got the he camp got of the 2016, traded, 2017 season at the draft in 2016, and then that following the, camp, he hit Clark MacArthur with a blindside hit in training camp knocking him out for the rest of the season and ending his career. Yeah. Mark Arthur would make a seat, make a return at the end of the year and help with our 2017 run, but it, he very much should not have like that. Was, yeah. Like he basically, they basically just did that because they just look at the doctors and went, eh, we're going to play him anyway. Yeah. They gave and, him like a tinted visor and a baseball cap so that the, the lights didn't give him headaches yeah. while he was playing. Like it's man, if, if you have to do that, you shouldn't be on the ice. Yes. Because who knows? You could bump into somebody the wrong way and like who knows what would happen. You could die. You could have incredibly serious brain damage. Like yeah. your life is already never gonna be the same again. You want it to be absolutely detrimentally worse. Like it's that was that was insane at the time and it's it's miraculous that it didn't end up that way. Yeah. So with all of with all that said, I those are the only three bad trades i can say and people might one one of those trades you couldn't have seen how it you couldn't have foreseen why it would become a bad trade at the time it was like the off trade yeah the seal off trade you couldn't have foreseen that he was going to end one of your best players career career um and chase on like he wasn't doing anything he was he he wasn't doing anything in ottawa no it's crazy that he was like one of the key pieces that came back for spezza um, the big piece in it was Nick Paul. Yeah, it, it took seven years to develop. <laughs> hey, if he he's still only twenty four, I guess yeah. But um, at, at the time, Shayson was also a pretty key part of that. Which yeah, because was... he was almost a point per game in Dallas. Yeah, but he was also playing with Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. Yeah. But... So uh, so you you just highlighted um, what you think the two worst trades Three. were three well one of them is is circumstance yeah circumstantial is why it's one of the worst ones but uh yeah well, what do you think are his like uh you know two to three stronger moves um probably pierre dorian's one of his better trades was dezingle to columbus for two seconds and one year of uh anthony duclair like um those seconds i think we kept the one from 2020 because i don't think that was the one we sent to pittsburgh for matt murray i'm just going to quickly double check that oh wait yeah it was it was so we traded uh ryan dezingle for essentially a second matt murray and anthony duclair that that's not bad no right that's pretty good yeah the I, like, I remember at the time Ottawa being like, or a lot of fans in Ottawa thinking like, oh, how did we get better return for um, Matt Dezingle and Dezingle than they got for Mark Stone, which is looking even more so the case now. Eric Branson's 21 years old. It is yeah. too early to tell. It, it's still pretty early, but they seem to have lost a lot of their um, enthusiasm for him. I think it's just... A big thing is he's played on the right side for majority of his career and they're trying to get him to go left. And it's just, I, I hate the idea 
that you are a left-handed shot defenseman, therefore you play the left side. I hate that. If you're more effective on the right, you're more effective on the right. Go there. And I don't know. It seems like when when Dorian acquired Brandstrom, he saw his future, like, I would say power play one quarterback. Uh, Brandstrom was considered to be in the same offensive category as Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr when we acquired him. And it's just, I don't know. Like, it just seems like they, DJ Smith likes the bigger rough and tumble kind of defenseman as evident by him stubbornly playing Coburn and Branson and Josh Brown, who Brown, I don't think has been bad, but I digress. I, that's that one's still early to tell, but I think Eric Branstrom will be on this team full time before the end of the year. I think it was just, I think he even would have made this team out of camp. If it wasn't for the fact that he was only at camp for like two days. Cause even DJ Smith said like he did nothing to prove that he shouldn't be on the team. He just wasn't there enough to prove that he should be on it, you know? So I'm not too worried about that. Um, I have faith in Brandstrom. Again, he's only like 21 years old. There's time. That one's still too early to tell. Um, and there are a few other ones like um, the Duchesne. It's not looking good because Lassie Thompson's taking a step back and he's the guy who we got for the first round pick for Duchesne. But again, he's still young, so we'll see. Uh DeMello, we were sad that we only got a third, but the goalie, Miralainen, we got with that third looking good. Pajot, we just used those picks. It's too, too early to tell. But the other decent trades, um, I like the CC trade. Zaitsev looks like he's found his um, uh, the game that he had in his first year, which is great. Connor Brown's been our most played forward since he's been on the team, uh, and he's been – a little overused, admittedly, but he's been good for us. Uh, the underrated, uh, the Lazar deal, we got a second-round pick for Curtis Lazar and some other pieces. Uh, and that second-round pick turned into Alex Formanton, who's a guy who's looking like to be a top-six winger for us in the very near future. And then, obviously, I would consider the Carlson trade a good trade, considering we got our potential second-line center in Josh Norris and our potential superstar winger and Tim Stutzel and uh, plus other picks. Yeah. And Rudolph Balsers, right? How's he, how's he doing with Ottawa? He apparently he fell out of favor a lot with management and coaching. I don't know if it was an attitude or what it was, but like, I, I was sad to see him go. Um, San Jose obviously knows what they were getting because they drafted him in the first place. Yeah. it, It was, it was just shit asset management is what it was. It was a hundred percent. It was, but I think even if you don't like the player anymore, like you have, you still have to recognize that there's value in him. Yeah. You you have to get something for him. I think Ottawa just looked at their left side of the future and they went, we've got Stutzel, Kachuk and Formington as our top three left wingers. Yeah. There's no room for Balsers, which Um, is fair, but don't just let them go to waivers. Now I didn't realize that Ottawa traded the, uh, the pick, that the Rangers used on uh, Keandre Miller. Keandre Miller. Yeah. And we I, got up. I, I didn't know that. And he, he scored his first goal of the season la- or his career last night as well. Yeah. Granted the guy we got for that pick, uh, Bernard Docker, uh, he was actually expected to turn pro this year. Eh? Oh, he yeah, okay. had a really, really good year at university of North Dakota last year. 
And um, there were talks of bringing him into Belleville and maybe even making the team. But because of the COVID shutdown, he decided to go back to Dakota for his third year to try and win a championship. And now that he's one of four sense prospects on that team, one of three defensive prospects on that team. Um, so, yeah, all, all of this talk about the, the trades that Dorian has made over his tenure as uh, sense GM like just to get back to that, the conversation we're having, like what GMs in the league could you name that you think are doing a worse job than Dorian? Well, I would say Jim Rutherford, but he resigned today. Yeah. yeah. And it, so, it is tough to say that because since Dorian's been the GM of the senators, Rutherford has also won two Stanley cups. Sure. But he's also made some really bad trades he has more recently, recently than he won the cups. He, he made some really good decisions early on with the Penguins, but um, since the Stanley Cups, it's been all downhill. Um, also, um, Vancouver scored two minutes into the Sens game. Yeah, I know. I've got it streaming over here in the background. It's one nothing, and I think Vancouver's on a power play right now. Oh, that's incredible. So, yeah. So, we'll, we'll uh, get this wrapped up pretty soon. So you Well, um, just to answer your question, um, some bad GMs. Um, John Chaka. You don't There's think- one. But he made Arizona pretty competitive and it's hard to judge because I think a lot of his, what he was working on is unfinished. He made a team that needs to rebuild, have cap issues. But they weren't rebuilding when he was there. And again, I think the issue is, is it's more so that he left the team partway through his rebuild plan. Um, so now the new people coming in are looking at what is there and they're like, I don't really like, I don't really like any of this stuff. So I'm going to get rid of it and get new stuff. It's like moving into a new house, right? Like the previous owners did stuff. You bought, you, you're, you bought the house because you're like, yeah, I, I like this house and I would like to live here, but that doesn't mean that I like everything that is going on with it. So we're going to, throw some things out and change some things uh, because I like things different than the last guy did. Sure. Um, Paul Fenton as another bad GM, the Minnesota GM for 13 months. Yeah, that, that was pretty bad. Um, yeah. Um, it, it, and I, I was going to say it, it's tough to, to judge Dorian because there are so many guys that have, that are, pretty new on the scene in terms of being an GMs. like bill Guerin is new yeah um, dubis is relatively new yeah dubis is new um like i said that and now i can't name any of these freaking executives well to be fair i don't know like, the like gms of western conference teams yeah and florida just got a new gm this offseason arizona just got a new gm yeah um, um who's the guy out in chicago bowman Stan Bowman, yeah, like he's not been doing great stuff recently either. Yeah, and all the cup winning teams that he was a part of, the first one he didn't even make. No, that was Dale Talon, who also was pretty shit recently too. Yeah. So it, and the other thing, it's it's hard to judge Dorian as a general manager because you know, like this is kind of something that I think Jeff Merrick says a lot on the uh, Thirty One Thoughts pod whenever he's talking about Dorian is it's hard to evaluate Dorian because you know, he's working with one arm tied behind his back. Yeah. And it gives you a newfound appreciation of how good Brian Murray was at his job. And even still, Brian Murray wasn't a very good general manager with the senators. 
He was a better coach. He was a much better coach than he was a general manager. A lot of the stuff he did with the Senators as GM was not good. Yeah. Yeah, because was he coach or GM during that cup run? I can't remember. Um, he was – I think he was both. Was he both at the time? He, he came into Ottawa the first season he was with them in he 05. He was the coach. He was the coach, and then John Muckler left or was fired, and then Brian Murray became coach GM for yeah. the cup run year. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that was it. And that, then it was the following year that he was just the general manager, and they hired um, – that guy that lasted like half the season and then got fired. That doesn't help. I wasn't following it close enough. Also, oh, that, I was that, that it's also, also, I was 10. It was also a blanket statement that covered like seven years of senators coaches. <laughs> yeah. There was, who was it? Clouston McLean McLean won the Jack Adams with Ottawa. Yeah. That's the kiss. Remember of death. that? Yeah. That trophy is the kiss of death. Um, but no, I think it was like Jim Pollock or something like that. Um, he, like he was that. the Sens coach the year after they went to the cup final and they got off to the best start in franchise history and then didn't win another game all season, basically <laughs> from uh, yeah. like mid December on they were, yeah, one, including exhibition games. We started off like 16 and oh, or something. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. And then the fact that they, they had the hot playoffs. start, got them into the playoffs. They, they were in eighth seed and got swept by uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. One one of our many Pittsburgh seasons. But yeah, so overall, like, I don't think Dorian is one of the best GMs. His his no. tra- his trading record is basically the same as anyone else. And speaking of trades, the Senators did make a trade today. Yeah, they traded Christian Yaros to San Jose for a late round pick. I forget the exact round. Jack Kopaka, and I think actually, oh, it was for Kopaka, right? The he's a winger who hasn't played in the NHL yet. Oh, I thought that he uh, was a draft pick that Ottawa had traded away as well. I, I thought that um, – ah, no, there's only one on there. Yeah, oh, I, and I thought got that a I, seventh. Yeah, Kopaka in the seventh. So it was basically a minor league deal. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, like Dorian's trade record looks pretty similar to most other GMs where it's you win some, you lose some. Some are really yep. good, some are really bad. Like, that's just – the way it goes in most cases. Yeah. The, the Carlson, the haul for the Carlson deal makes up for the bluster or the blunder of the Duchesne deal. Now so we break even. And, and then the, the, the sharks or the, uh, the Carlson trade didn't look great at the moment because of uh, how well San Jose was expected to do. Like we didn't, nobody thought that San Jose would just fall off the face of the earth. Also, although he was injured, let's not forget, Eric Carlson was basically a point per game that year. He only yeah. played a, like a half season with San Jose in his first year, but he it, still it, it got was, over 40 points. It was pretty reasonable to expect that Ottawa was going to be get, getting like a, a top, like a between like, 16 and 30th overall pick in the first round, which not, not, not third overall. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's part of. Uh, you, you you have to take that into consideration when evaluating that trade. It's like you, you have to think that Dorian was evaluating the trade as we're going to get like uh, a lower half of the first round pick from San Jose. And he still thought that that trade was worthwhile. So, you know, it, it probably looks a little bit less good when you put it in that context, but um, how things actually turned out makes that trade a lot better. 
Sure. And that's the thing with trading for futures. You don't know how good the trade is until everything pans out. Yeah. And again, 90% of his trades have been for futures. So we still have, I would say we got to wait until next year and the year after is when we can decide is Pierre Dorian a good GM and is the Ottawa senators actually a good development system? Like they claim they are. Here's what I'll say. Uh, my, my final thought on the topic, just kind of scanning through Dorian's trades. I think he's a better um, tear down GM than he is rebuild GM. You think he's better at acquiring assets than trading? Well, well actually, I, what do you I, mean? I think, I think he's better at acquiring draft picks and trading out veteran players to get decent value for them than he is at um, making hockey trades of play of trading um, like NHL player for NHL player. Okay. I, or, or acquiring NHL player for whatever assets. Okay, that I can agree with. I, you also have to take into consideration that Dorian is actually a pretty good scout himself. Like he, he was head of the scout table before he was a GM. And I will admit Ottawa's scouting is usually pretty good. Like if you want recent guys, look at Drake Batherson. He was a fourth round pick in 2017 and now he's playing on our top line already. Yeah. Um, Cause like he, what I'm looking at here, why I said that was uh, you, you look at last year, um, Dorian traded away. Pajot got a conditional first, a second round pick, and then a, con- a conditional third round pick for JG Pajot. I mean, that we, third we, round like, pick was Islanders have to win the cup, but yeah. So that, yeah, that one wasn't met. So Ottawa got a first and a second for a second line center at best. No, he. Go but, back, watch Pajot, man. He's, he's solid he's in his own doing, end. He's been doing really, really well with the Islanders, but like, is JG Pajot the second line center on a cup winning team? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think he's. I, I think he's an elite third line center on a cup winning team. No, I don't want him locked up for like five or six years or whatever they have him at for five million. Uh, was it five? I think it's six million. Uh, it yeah, not? it's is something this... insane. But yeah, like you, 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 you look at that trade, and then you look at the things that um, Dorian did this off season, like acquiring Josh Brown, a guy I had never heard of before, for a fourth yep. round pick. And for context, at the trade deadline last year, Ottawa traded away Tyler Ennis for a fifth round pick. And Nemesikov for a fourth after acquiring him for a fourth. Yeah, so Josh Brown is more valuable than Tyler Ennis? I don't think so. Well, Tyler Ennis was put on waivers, so. Sure, but I think Tyler Ennis is more effective in his role than Josh Brown is in his. It all depends on the team and the systems. And then um, Austin Watson for a fourth-round pick. Watson's been good for us, at least. I don't know if you're right about that. I've... Like his done a couple goals, sure, in a few fights. His possession numbers are dog shit. Uh, Derek Stepan for a second round pick. That that one hurt. That one I wasn't like. It's fine to get some veteran leadership and stuff, but um, a second round pick is a pretty high cost to pay for that. Yeah, Uh, Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette. That trade, I like looking at it. 
Ottawa gave up Marion Gabrick and Anders Nilsson, two guys that weren't going to play for them, for two guys that have been playing for them. They've been doing it shitty, but they've been playing. And a second-round pick, which is the valuable part there. Yeah, which is balances out the second rounder we gave for Stefan. So you can essentially say that that is a futures trade. You can essentially say we traded um, what was that? Uh, Gabrick and Nilsson for Coburn, Paquette, and Stepan. Because the two seconds cancel each other out. Not really. One of them is a Tampa Bay Lightning second, which you have to assume is at the bottom end of the second round versus a Columbus Blue Jackets second, which the way they're playing in the division they're in could be closer to the to a first round pick than a third rounder. True, but the 2022 draft that the Tampa pick in is considered a much deeper draft than the Columbus second round pick uh, for this year. This year's draft is expected to be fairly weak, like 2012 Nail Yakupov week. Yeah. All right. So yeah, the, that's that's basically our thoughts on uh, Dorian is w- where he stands in the NHL. Um, oh, Josh have... Norris scored. Oh. From Dadnov and Kachuk on the power play. Ottawa's, Ottawa's out shooting Vancouver 15 to 6. Oh, wow. So they're. But every, wow. time, every time I've flipped over, the puck has been Ottawa, been in Ottawa's zone. So um, that's encouraging. So, yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to get to? Uh, not today. I guess we just skipped the double agent game. We ran pretty long. Yeah, we're for another time. We're running long. And yeah, I think we both want to go watch the Sens game. So we'll save that for another time. Um, Oh, and before we go, actually just wanted to give a shout out to the winners of the double agent game from last episode. It was, oh, geez, I am not prepared at all for this. Um, That's fine. At Matt Naif on Twitter. Hey, Matt. Yeah, it was crazy. I I put up the first three clues, like the three standard ones. And Matt's like, that is Milan McCulloch. And it's like, Keegan didn't even get it. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. I just didn't get it. It took you like four extra clues. Yeah, I know. He's that's other Matt from the Centennial, eh? Yes. Yeah, that's that's right. And then um, the other one was the Blue Line Report and Journalism John on Instagram. They also got it. It took them a couple more clues, but uh, yeah. So thanks everybody for participating on our social media. Um, I'm trying to come up with some fun like twitter or instagram game that we can play um the next time the sends and leafs play in mid-february so if anybody's gotten any ideas i'm i'm all ears but uh until next time please make sure you're following the show on instagram and twitter the handle is at little hockey pod you can follow me on twitter at j small 1771 you can follow keegan at lil underscore little 28 Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcasting app. Um, we're basically on all of them now. Uh, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. Like it, It's nuts. We're on all of them. So if you're listening on a platform and you can't find us, let us know and we'll uh, see if we can get on there. And if not, then we're on one of the other ones. So just check us out. Um, if you like the show, please make sure that you rate and review us on whatever um, platform you can and tell your friends too. Um, we're going to try to be more active on our Instagram. We, I've revamped the, uh, the way that we're sharing our double agent game. So just go check out our, our posts every week and um, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll get back to the double agent game next week and then 
you can play along again. So tell all your friends. We'll uh, shout you out if you can um, guess the player before Keegan does. I'm still trying to work out how uh, we can do that without spoiling the surprise for everybody, but yeah. Yeah, and I think um, everyone's going to be beating me in this game. I'm not as good as I was thinking I would oh, be. Oh, yeah, no, and uh, like I, I was going through the list again, and I'm like, we're running out of recognizable names here. <laughs> oh, shit. <Yeah. laughs> like I, I did the uh, the random number generator, and the first one that came up, I'm like, who is that? I don't know who that is. We're not doing that one. I, I did it again, and I'm like, we both know who this is, but Keegan's not going to get this person. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right yeah so all right uh, i want to go watch this game okay sounds good so uh until next week everybody uh catch you later see you later guys what a finish <laughs>